0: Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Gary Dick. In June, many years ago, right, Gary? (laughs) That's right. Many years ago. That's right. In June 2000, broadcast news veteran Gary Dick and technology entrepreneur Scott Jones formed Grow Indiana Media Ventures LLC. It's a media company created to deliver Indiana business news and information through multiple media sources. Mr. Dick is president, managing editor, and owner of the company. But I first, as many people did, saw him during his 14 years at WRTV, a local television, and prior to the creation of Grow Indiana Media Ventures with its flagship presentation known as Inside Indiana Business. Gary served as Senior Vice President of the Indianapolis Economic Development Corporation. Gary Dick, I get to ask you questions the first time ever. I know, I'm nervous. I'm not used to being on this side of the mic, you know. (laughs) Well, I promise to treat you as gracefully, as you've always treated me when I've been on your show, thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's it's my pleasure, Robert. Uh, happy to do it. Well, and one of the things I want to make sure we get to is your business and beyond podcast, because yeah. it's you've had. It's amazing how many of the same guests that we've actually had. Right. And you do a terrific job with it. But but your Hoosier roots run deep, born and bred. Tell me what it was like to grow up as an Indiana kid. Uh, great. You know, you know,
1: I'm unique, I guess you, you could say, in the broadcasting business, because typically uh, in broadcasting, you've got to move away and you go away and uh, maybe to other states or wherever the case might be. But it, it's interesting. I've never worked outside of the state of Indiana in my professional career. So born and raised here, born in Clinton, Indiana, which is in um, not Clinton County. A lot of people uh, uh, will confuse that when I tell them where I'm from. But Clinton, Indiana, Vermillion County, far western part of the state, about 15 miles north of Terre Haute. Uh, a great town to grow up in. Would not trade it for anything in the world. Uh, just a wonderful community. Uh, had a great childhood. Uh, you know, everything. I mean, I've been blessed, uh, to be sure. And being from Indiana uh, is a really good thing. Uh, and, I, and I really do mean it when I talk about Indiana being a great place to, you know, to, to raise a a family, to grow a business, quality of life, all those things. I really believe it. Um, you know, I've lived it. Many other people have as well. And I think it's very true. And I think it's one of the reasons or among the reasons that Indiana is enjoying some success from an economic development standpoint
0: too. Who would be some of your top Hoosier homers? Those who, who wave the banner, uh, of the Hoosier state as loudly and proudly and as often as anyone. Yeah. I will, I will nominate one person and I'll ask you for a few more and that would be uh, our friend, Bill Benner. Yeah.
1: You know, that's a great one. Uh, Bill, absolutely. uh, From the sports standpoint, but he extends it well beyond that. And his, his institutional knowledge uh, is, is so great and he's lived it and witnessed it and, and experienced it. So he would be a great one. You know another one um, that's, I think an obvious, another mutual friend is is um, is Mitch Daniels, you know, I think Mitch, uh, in his role at Purdue, what he has done there, obviously previously what he did as governor of the state is his um, his impact in in DC. He's, he's had impact everywhere he's gone. And uh, you know even though he wasn't technically born here, uh, certainly he was he was raised here. and he speaks, I think, to uh, so much of what is good about about Indiana, you know, I'll throw another one out there uh, as well, and that's uh, Jim Schellinger, who uh, you know recently uh, stepped down as Secretary of Commerce, and he he will t- You sit down with him; he will talk uh, at length about uh, the virtues, the the wonderful things about the state of Indiana. So those would be those would be some off the just off the top of my head. I throw out there.
0: Jim Schellinger is one of the best, if not the best, cheerleader for the state. Mm -hmm. What a terrific, terrific guy. A great family as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, you know, I think that that love for Indiana and what the state is all about and what it can become, I think really helped him achieve great success at the IEDC, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation and the Secretary of Commerce in selling Indiana, not just here, uh, in the Midwest or in the U.S., but around the globe as well.
0: So I'm going to make it ask you a, maybe a little bit tougher question. Who who would you put as uh, maybe our two or three most impactful Hoosier exports? Exports.
1: Okay. So uh, folks who 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 maybe grew up here who who left. Um you know that's a great question. I mean some of the obvious ones um you know you point to are the David Lettermans and the Jane Paulies and, and those uh those folks who've who've had an impact uh on media. You know some of the lesser known uh, uh people who have left the state Angela Aarons went to Ball State University mm-hmm. um New Palestine native small town girl grew up uh, Ball State graduate went on to uh, be, become the CEO of Burberry. She's uh, and then on to be the number two or three person at Apple. Just a phenomenal, you know, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know about her, but that's an example of the kind of talent, the quality that that uh, comes from Indiana. We need to keep more of them in the state, but uh, you can't keep them all in the state. Um, you know, you can toss around people who've made a mark, um, uh, folks like Mark Cuban, you know, leaving Indiana University mm-hmm. and going on to his his high profile um, situations in, you know, in many scenarios, a Don Mattingly who's had such an impact, you know, an Evansville native. I actually played baseball against him, American Legion baseball. How'd you do? I struck him out twice. Does he know? I doubt it. (laughs) It was his first, it was my last year in Legion ball. His first year he played for a team Evansville Funkhauser, which was a phenomenal team. I'm telling you really a good team. And uh, I, I do remember that because he was known even back then as, as, as quite a player. But but the impact that he's had on on baseball, on the sport of baseball, and uh, is also given back to Evansville in Southwest Indiana. So I know David, there are many uh, many others. Uh, David Lee Roth. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's let's see. Was he Lafayette? He's born in Bloomington. Bloomington, okay
0: okay and axel rose that's axel lafayette, rose I believe. that's lafayette
1: that's who i'm thinking
0: of john wooden uh, yeah yeah you don't john get wooden. john you don't get john wooden and axel rose in the same sentence very often <laughs> the so. same
1: conversation no that's right
0: <laughs> you that's graduated right. from indiana state what year you did, did? Gradu- what year did you graduate i graduated
1: 1981
0: yeah, so 19- you were there as yeah. a student
1: when larry bird was there
0: Exactly. Which was was that, you
1: know, know, it was phenomenal. I'm telling you, it was, I am a big sports nut, enjoy sports, love to play it. Uh, And, uh, and it was, it was a magical time to be at Indiana state and my path there, you know, it's funny how things work out. I went, I originally went to DePauw and was going to play football and baseball there got mono, mononucleosis as I showed up my freshman year for football uh, a camp and then got a reaction to mono. And I was in the hospital. I mean, I, I was, I had like 104 degree temperature and packed in ice and uh, missed the first three weeks of school and, you know, really should not have gone to school, should have laid out, but I wanted to get to school and all that kind of stuff. So my, my academic uh, performance, shall we say at DePaul was not good. <laughs> and it, it was just, it was just, you know, great school. It was just not a good experience. But it, just a twist of fate, I uh, somehow got an internship at the ABC TV station in Terre Haute, uh, a one month deal. DePaul had what they called a winter term. And I got a job, a one month job as an intern, and um, thought this might be something I want to do. And I'd never even thought about it. I thought I wanted to be a high school basketball coach. And um, uh, anyway, that kind of uh, turned me on to the uh, whole uh, news journalism business, transferred to Indiana State, major in radio, TV, film, and then had that great experience with, you know, it was interesting. Back then, You in like a f- four-year, five five-year span, you had Larry Bird in basketball. You had Kurt Thomas, the Olympic mm-hmm. gymnast. And Bruce Baumgartner, the Olympic uh, wrestler, all went to Indiana State during that that time. So it was a good time to be there.
0: Do do, do you remember seeing, I mean, Bird's travels from French Lick, goes to Bloomington. I think he lasts, what, a month, a few weeks? Yeah, not long. Yeah, And then he sits out for like maybe a year. And then he matriculates to Indiana State, mostly because the coach, Hodges, I believe, was the coach's name.
1: Bill Hodges uh, kept, uh, kept at him. He knew he had recruited him before he committed to IU, knew he was down in French Lick. And he, you know, he deserves the credit for I- him going there because he didn't give up. He went down to literally, as I understand it, when Larry was on the garbage truck. And, yeah, and, that's right. And, and recruited him back to Terre Haute. And the rest, as they say, is history. But it it was it was truly was magical, uh, that whole experience. And back then, you know, 78, 79, uh, the the final four and the tournament was really just beginning to come into into that that status or that stratosphere uh, on the national stage and NBC had the contract and it was Dick Enberg was a play-by-play guy mm. um, Billy Packer and Al Maguire were the right. two color guys Al McGuire loved Larry Bird loved Indiana state Billy Packer um, he, he was very suspicious he didn't think Bird was that good he thought he was overrated and they had a you know <laughs> a little a back and forth going and the students loved it it was just a it was just a fun time to be there
0: and isn't that the 1979 NCAA championship game, which uh, Indiana State I think lost by like maybe 12? It was like mm-hmm. 63-51 or something like that.
1: That that's, sounds about right. Yeah,
0: that is still the highest-rated college basketball game in history. Still.
1: I think it is. I mean, it certainly was until recently, and I think it still may be. You hear that? You hear that uh, talked about a lot. And uh, it was like I said, I, I use the word magical. It, it's hard to put into words what that was like for a school, a smaller school like Indiana State, that was uh, you know suddenly thrust on the national uh, spotlight, and to be on that stage in bird and bird and magic and that whole thing was just uh, was just very cool.
0: Well, and just three years before IU, Indiana University, goes undefeated, thirty-two and zero. <laughs> I forget what what indiana state's record was going into the title game it might have been 30 oh it was they were undefeated. i know that but i'm not sure how many oh, games that they had i won. think yeah
1: I, I i think it was seems to me it was 33 maybe 33 no 32 and no, oh I, I can't remember yeah
0: but just to to have a little school like that the electricity when you're walking around campus i mean do you remember did you have any classes with larry bird i mean he was so shy do you remember having any conversations he was
1: with him? no it, uh, no very brief i'd see him every now and then um My library was uh, called the Ballyhoo Tavern. Uh, That was, (laughs) (laughs) so I'd see him in the Ballyhoo every now and that was the big hot spot on campus, the Ballyhoo and Semerals. And I once every once in a long while would see him there, never really had any conversations with him, but um, it was one of those teams too, that everyone was a role player. You had Larry, who was the superstar, but he made everybody on that team better. And you had Brad Miley from, Oh, gosh, Martinsville, Mooresville, um, uh, but uh, Brad Miley an Indiana kid. You had Bob Heaton from Clay City, mm-hmm. Little Clay City, uh, the Indiana guys. And it was just it was just a neat team to watch come together. And the, 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 the campus was electric. We used to have at home and center. I don't know if they still do. It was um, festival seating, I guess you'd say. You get in, you get in free with your uh, student I.D., and it was first in, you know, first come, first serve. So we would eat at the fraternity house. We'd eat dinner early. Then we'd go down and wait in line and the doors would open and you would just fly in there to get your seats. So that was, I mean, Holman Center was packed every game and it was,
0: uh, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. You mentioned to Paul a few minutes ago. Is that where you met uh, Ken Owen? Did you meet there? I know how good friends you are. You know what? That that that's very interesting. I don't think we actually. I'm sure we did cross paths
1: there, but we really met a few years later in Fort Wayne uh, when he was at the CBS station in Fort Wayne. So I'm a year or maybe two years older than Ken, and Ken, uh, I was at the. I got my first job out of college was at the NBC station, and and Ken uh, was there in uh, in Fort Wayne uh, uh, on his job at uh, Wayne TV. So that's where we first uh, connected. And then of course he moved down to Indianapolis as I did and continued the friendship. Great guy, really good guy.
0: One question I wanted to ask you since we're talking about Larry bird and I don't know how many people you've interviewed in your career. It's got to be in the thousands. Well, have you had a chance to talk with uh, Larry about, you know, Hey, I was there and, and, you know, reminisce a bit. You know, it's funny. I have, and you know, it's a man of few words. So he, he,
1: he appreciated it. We had him in on the show, it's been a few years ago, and uh, so I talked a little bit about that. So he acknowledged it, but didn't didn't elaborate. <laughs> didn't elaborate much.
0: <laughs> he doesn't appear to be too sentimental.
1: Yeah, yeah, right, right. Great player though, and great and good guy. And what a what a what a uh, cool story. His uh, his is I still love watching on YouTube Larry Bird videos uh, from his. Oh, state. they're great. Not, not yeah, not only at the Celtics. I mean, not only at Indiana State, but from the Celtics. And just how his his court sense and like he had eyes in the back of his head, you know, and some of his passes.
0: Plus, when Michael Jordan says you're the best trash talker he ever encountered during his career. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a like, compliment. Yeah. It's being anointed by the pope. Right. <laughs> uh, which would be harder for you to recognize? Thinking back today about how the news media and technology was when you started or when you started having someone say, this is the way it's going to be in 40 years? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Probably
1: um, someone telling me back then the way it would be 40, 30, 40 years from now, because, and and, you know, you understand this uh, as well. I think back on that and, you know, When I started in in television news, you know, we didn't have, there weren't computers. There was no internet. Uh, You know, we had just those clunky typewriters that that we had to pound stories out on. And a thing called a telephone that was not a (laughs) cellular telephone or a cell or a mobile. It was a a wired telephone that you had to, you know, if you're out on a story and you need to get a hold of a contact, you had to make sure you had change in your pocket so you get to a, a phone booth. Which essentially don't exist anymore. So I, I I think back on those days, and and you know I have mixed, really mixed thoughts about it because I think on the one hand, uh, you know, technology today is so uh, awesome, and it allows for the dissemination of content and news and information, and the ability to get things quickly, and to allow reporters to do their jobs. I think I think those are all positives. But I think it's also uh, a source of, as we see, you know, a, a lot uh, source of a lot of misinformation, and you know, people, you know, get, you know in a rush to get things out there, get that the wrong information and the wrong content out there. And uh, I also think that having notepads and having to call people on the phone and set up interviews or get information, all those types of things um it was it was more difficult more time consuming more clunky if you will less efficient but i think there was a lot uh there was a lot of positives about it too from a from a relationship building standpoint and getting that information and making sure it's correct and making sure it's right so kind of mixed emotions i think on balance though technology is a is a good thing it enables us to do our jobs and the way we do it now um wouldn't be able to do it otherwise without technology and the ability the ability to do that but a much different day back in the day in the old uh, the old uh, the old school reporting ways
0: <laughs> the media takes its fair share of hits uh, sometimes from republicans like me and sometimes from uh, groups who feel that they've been uh, mistreated or misrepresented uh, if you were on a panel and i know you've moderated scores and scores of panels but if you were Sitting there, how would you defend in general terms the job and the performance of the news media in 2021 or just in the 21st century? Because taking into account how much technology has changed things. Yeah.
1: You know, great question. I'll be, I'll I'll be really honest. I'm, I'm a, um, on the one hand, a defender. Of, um, of reporters and journalists and those doing their jobs. But on the other hand, and I think this is more directed on the national stage and what I see covered nationally on the, uh, on the networks, on cable, and all the different various sources we have to look. I just think uh, reporting has taken a turn uh, for the worse. I mean, I, I really do. I think opinion has uh, integrated itself into, into reporting. You know, it, it's great to have opinion, and that's one thing. Then there's straight journalism. That's another. The two are separate. Now, it's, today, it's very difficult to see uh, the difference. It's, and and it's, you used to see that in certain instances, uh, maybe on, uh, you know, outlets that were more that more right-leaning or left-leaning, whatever the case might be but now on on uh, you know what's termed mainstream media or legacy media whatever you want to you want to call it so much is a, i think comes off as opinion as opposed to straight reporting and and I, I think that's a that's a bad thing and i think it paints everyone in the industry including local reporters and local journalists who i think those that i know you know it's it can be a difficult job and a challenging job they really try to do a really good job about informing people and getting information, getting content out there. But it paints everybody in the industry with a, brat, a, a, a broad, bad brush. So I, 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 I don't know that I can necessarily defend. I can't defend some of the bad stuff that I see going on. But it's really, you know, frankly, to me, it's disheartening because uh, I I know, and I, I always said, I never wanted to be one of those guys to say, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, when I start you know, when I was in the business, um, but I'm I'm telling you, it was it was it was different. I mean, the attention and the the focus on on facts and in and, and and content being correct first and foremost was there. I mean, if you if you had, you know, now I, I see things that are reports that are just flat out wrong. I mean, totally wrong. And what happens? I mean, it just kind of goes by the wayside, and you're on to the next story and it goes. Uh you know, I, I know and I believe me, I made mistakes and everybody does. And I was mortified when I would make a mistake or an error, be it whether it's, it's something like grammar, let alone content. I was I was mortified by that. And I don't know for some people, it's still that way, I think. But I, I don't know about the, you know the broader the broader industry. So it's much different than it was. That's for sure.
0: Who were some of the uh, broadcast journalists either on the national or local level whom you looked up to or said, you know, if I'm if I'm half as good as as he or she is, then I'm going to be pretty darn good.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. Uh Robert, you know, I think back and um and this goes way back and some of these names may be not familiar to some some listeners, but there was a CBS Uh, he's a white house uh, reporter for a long time. Bill plant was a, you know, kind of meat and potatoes newsman, Dan rather. Now he, he, his, um, is much more the opinion guy these days, obviously, but back in the day when he was a reporter, I remember as a kid, that's, that might've been when I started getting interested in, um, in journalism was, uh, the Democrat convention in 1968 in Chicago. And the the violence and all the stuff going on, and, and, and obviously the unrest we saw with in the um, wake of the uh, assassination of Dr. King and all those types of things, and the news coverage of that. I was fascinated by that. I, I just I looked at that and I saw uh, those people out there doing those stories and bringing these stories from far away into uh, our living room, I thought was neat. So I thought rather uh, I read his book. I think it was the camera never blinks was correct his uh his book which I, I i thought was great then on the local level you know i i was honored to work at channel six uh uh early in my career get a, to get a job here and move here legendary station legendary people bob gamble the news director there was he's, he's in broadcast hall of fame he's passed away a few years uh, years ago wonderful guy and hardcore journalist with a soft heart. I mean, he was just a great guy and someone I looked up to. Uh, Howard Caldwell, Clyde Lee, you know, the anchor desk, you know, the things that Channel 6 did over the years were truly phenom- phenomenal on a local level and really solid reporters like, you know, Jack Reinhardt and and and, and Derek Thomas and uh, Cy Jenkins. I mean, I can go on down the list, but Channel 6 and uh, there were others in this market, certainly, but Channel 6 will always have a really... Uh, uh, great place in my heart for the things that uh, it enabled me to do, uh, but also for all the things that, that have been accomplished at that station over the years.
0: I should note that Howard Caldwell is a fellow graduate of Howe high school on very good side. Yes. Along with Fred Klipsch. Well,
1: I didn't know that. Okay. Very good. Well, Howard, and again, great example uh, of a, A person who on TV, I think he came across certainly as a credible journalist, but also a nice guy and a good guy and a great example of someone who who indeed was that, you know, some people come across as nice guys Mm -hmm. that maybe aren't nice guys or vice versa. Howard was the same guy, I think, um, in person as he was over the air. And he, he was a very special, special guy.
0: So many of these long-tenured reporters or anchors have retired in the last five or six years, I would say. Jack Reinhart, uh, Rich Van Wyk. Yes, just, just retired, yeah. Jim Shella, Mm-hmm. Kevin Rader. Uh, the list goes on. Is it? Does it make you a little bit wistful to see some of these folks step away?
1: A little bit, but you know what? And And, and I'm a firm believer— that you need new blood, you know. You need you need young young people to step in the fold and 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 take the take the ball and run with it. So I, I like to see uh, new new folks in in high profile uh, positions. However, what is striking to me is, and you mentioned some great names there, and there are others as well, is the lack of institutional knowledge in um, in media in Indianapolis. And I I would assume it's very similar around the country in in markets around the country. But, um, you know, when I, again, to use the channel six analogy, you know, when I was back at channel six, you had so many people there who had been there for a number of years. And if there was a story you had to harken back, Oh yeah, that was two years ago. What was that? They would be able to tell you, this is what happened. This is why it is important. This is why it's important now. And you had that institutional knowledge. So if something happens, you can call back. You know, you can call back on that knowledge, and it really gives you depth and uh, context to a story that really. I I, I just don't think it, it it exists hardly at all now. You know, you mentioned Rich, Rich Van White from Thirteen. He's he's one of the last uh, of the breed, I think. I don't know how many. Uh, there are a few, I guess, but not many who've been around for that length of time who are really encyclopedias of, of information and can understand uh, why a story is important. You know, sometimes something might happen and uh, if folks haven't been around for a while, they, they, they don't take note. They just move on to the next story. So I think that's the biggest thing. I think we are just losing that institutional knowledge.
0: And I think rich only worked at 13. He did for 40, and 40 and I, years, 40 yeah, plus I, years. <laughs> that's,
1: that's a long time. Went there as an intern and then got the, got the opportunity. And uh, that's, that knowledge is is something that I think is so important, and especially in a city like Indianapolis, uh, you see all the changes that have happened here in the last, well, uh, beyond that, but even just, we arrived here in 83, so what is that, uh, you know, almost 40 years, and to see what has happened downtown and the history and the context of 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 downtown development of the amateur sports movement uh, now of technology and innovation and all those things uh, I think it's important to have have that uh, have that knowledge to to provide context for the stories that we uh, read and see every day
0: and another name we must mention who you worked with is Barbara Boyd of course, the legend, another hall of famer. I'd love and, to have her on the podcast i'm actually I'm actually trying to get Barbara Boyd and T. Garrett Benjamin. A oh, channel, wow. a channel six alum. Yeah, uh, on yeah, at that the would same, be, on at the same time together. That would be
1: great. And Barbara, you know, again, you talk about a trailblazer as an African American woman uh, uh, being on TV in Indianapolis, uh, and this was long before I arrived in Indianapolis. But uh, she, I think, she received awards for her. Uh, she had breast cancer mm-hmm. and and did, um, I think, a series of stories of reports. Uh, on and and to think about it at that time, which was you know probably fifty years ago, that just didn't happen. And she was open to it and did it. And um, she she uh, again another special person that has made such an impact uh, in so many ways on Indianapolis. She'd be a great one. And I I haven't seen her for a little while, but she seems to have as much energy today as she did twenty years ago. And I think and she looks awesome. ridiculous. She looks I know. absolutely stunning. I know. Doesn't age. She's
0: ninety something, isn't she? Isn't she ninety? Yeah. Like yeah, doesn't age. Doesn't age. Well, well, you have your business and beyond podcast, but you can't have Barbara Boyd on before okay. I do. Is I'll let you okay.
1: I'll 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 go second with her, but she <laughs> she's a great one. Yeah.
0: Can you remember or recall one or two uh, quickly one or two stories you covered that have stuck with you? Hmm. A couple and during your time at Channel Six, yeah. And I,
1: I, it's, it's, um, I guess germane now to to what we see happening on the border, but, uh, probably 92 or 93, we, uh, Channel Six, I had the idea to do this. There was a lot of, uh, attention being put on the automakers, uh, U.S. automakers, GM, Ford, Chrysler, sending, uh, you know, a lot of their work, uh, to Mexico. And, you know, literally built plants right along the border in Mexico to manufacture there and then then come back. So we actually traveled to, uh, uh, to Juarez, Mexico. Thompson Consumer Electronics at the time had a big plant uh, down there and also went down to Texas where General Motors, Delco Electronics had a big uh, Madame uh Mexico, I believe was uh, where they had a big plant. So we did a series of reports, got an Emmy nomination, didn't win the Emmy, but I thought they were pretty good. That, that stuck with me for sure. Uh, and to really get into, um, you know, how big business with Indiana connections, how the, how they fit into the global fits into the global marketplace, how they impact families uh, and individuals uh, in a big way. So that was one. The other one that I'll always remember is um, when the Colts came to Indianapolis, which was a fascinating time. And there was the, you know, of course, for weeks, the rumors that the Colts may come to Indianapolis, may or may not come. There was the negotiations back and and forth, Uh, much of it so secretive. You had the, at the time the Hoosier Dome was built, no team there. Uh, with blue seats, you know, ironically, for the Colts. Um, but I just remember uh, vividly being live on the air, and it seems to me it was like at noon or late morning or noon when the Colts uh, and the city of Indianapolis had uh, an event for, the, for fans to come and the community to come, and that's the, the iconic picture of Bill Hudnut And Bob Ursay walking in uh, to the stadium, uh, the Hoosier Dome. And I remember thinking to myself as I was covering that, I said, you know what? This is something that is going to have an impact on this city for many, many years to come. And I think that's certainly the case. You know, it has been a catalyst for any number of things that have happened downtown. But I'd say those are two two of the stories that I I really remember uh, vividly.
0: You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today on the podcast is Gary Dick, host of Inside Indiana Business and host of the Business and Beyond podcast, which you should definitely take a listen to. He has some terrific guests. So I'm going to ask you another unfair question. Yeah, Is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you especially admire? Hmm.
1: (sighs) Yeah, that's a tough one, you know, Um, because there are uh, certainly, you know, a lot of them. Uh, and again, I, 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 um, I, you know, I'd harken back, uh, to comment I made earlier. I mean, one would certainly be, um, would be Mitch Daniels, um, because, and I always remember he, he, made the comment and he's probably made it many times, but I remember hearing him say one time, when he was talking about making a decision, he harkened back to his his high school or his little league uh, baseball coach, he said, you know, if you're going to make an error, you want to make an error charging the ball. You know, you want to charge the ball. You don't want to be, be back on their back on your heels. And, and, you know, I think I look at the things that he did as, as governor, uh, you know, things like daylight saving time. And there were some other, you know, issues uh, the toll road lease and some of the other, uh, other things that, that, you know, at the time you could say they were controversial. I mean, there were people who certainly, raised a lot of cane about that
0: and communications director at the Indiana Republican party at the time. I'm (laughs) so you're, you're well aware.
1: aware. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, 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 you know, and he's taken that, uh, that attitude. And again, that, that not that there isn't a fear of failure, but, but kind of throwing that aside to, to get things done and to make things happen. And you look at some of the things that he's done at Purdue uh, and, and, you know, lots of places are, freezing tuition, but how many were seven, eight, nine, however many years it's been, how many years, uh, you know, how, how many people were doing it back then, the whole COVID, the reaction to COVID. And I think Purdue and and, and Mitch were out on an Island early on saying, we're going to, we're going to get kids back to school. And that wasn't a popular necessarily opinion, but it, it certainly worked out. So I would point, I would point to, uh, to, to him. I would throw a couple of Scots in there and that's Scott Jones, my partner in the business and some of the things he did, uh, helping from the private sector side on daylight saving time and getting innovation and entrepreneurship more in the in the uh, in the spotlight in Indiana. Scott Dorsey, one of the co-founders of Exact Target, again giving back to community now, helping other companies and other um, you know startups maybe get that uh, get that spark to launch their idea and to create things. So there are a lot of people I, I tell you. Well. And, and uh, you know, an obvious one is Jim Morris, who, um, you know, everybody knows, everyone's been touched by in some way over the many years. But Jim's, so, so many of his roles, whether it's at the endowment or, uh, you know, the water company, the World Food Program, obviously at the Pacers now, you could go on down the list. But his his influence on so many important things in our state will that impact's going to last many lifetimes into the future. So I'd, I'd put Jim certainly uh, up there at at or near the top of the list as well.
0: How would you rate Indianapolis's or Indiana's uh, entrepreneurial class spirit in in the the funds available? You know the opportunities that are available for people. Is it a hell of a lot better than it used to be, but still needs to be better? Or you know, relative to our competitors we're doing pretty darn well. Yeah, I, I would say the the former, I'd say better, no
1: question about it. And I just look back at, say, the last 20 years uh, and, and what, is, what has transpired uh, over the course of that uh, that time. Actually, if you go back to the, the marker for me is 1998. That's when Steve Goldsmith was mayor and he created this high-tech task force a uh, group of, uh, of local uh, business community leaders who got together and they visited all these markets around the, 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 uh, the country, you know, San Francisco, Austin, Boston, these tech rich communities to find out what they did to create a tech based economy, what Indiana, Indianapolis needs to do uh, to, to do the same. So that's 1998. If you look back then, some of the big things that were talked about were not connected. No connectivity. There are no direct flights. You know, you can't get there from here or get here from from there. Venture capital people in California didn't want to burn two days just to travel out here to look at companies. Uh, that has changed in a, in a huge way. Um, daylight saving time again, being connected to other parts of the country. That's changed. A lot of people didn't think that would ever happen. The venture capital piece, which is so important, that fuel to fund uh, companies and startups and ideas, it, it's better, but it needs to needs to get even even better. And I mentioned Scott Dorsey with High Alpha. You know, he he and um, a couple other co-founders started Exact Target, sold it for two and a half billion dollars. He could have he could have gone to the beach and just you know started drinking Mai Tais and and you know put his feet up and relaxed. But he and others uh, created High Alpha, which is focused on creating that next generation software company and also a fund to help help these companies with promising ideas with money. So, uh, again, so many things you can point to that are positive. Indiana has always been a state. Uh, it's a Midwestern thing, I think. But Indiana, you know, we don't brag on ourselves very much. All oh, shucks. You know, it's not that big a deal. Uh, We need to do more of that, in my opinion, uh, to talk about what we have here and the assets and the the really positive things, because there are a lot of things. These incubators and and co-working spaces, Launch Fishers is a great example up in uh, the city of Fishers, which has this vision of being an entrepreneurial, smart, innovative city. And that's kind of their brand, if you will. So you're seeing a lot of things all over the state of Indiana, in particular in central Indiana, that are positive. But especially on that venture capital uh, game, we gotta we gotta up that game. And the other piece, uh, Robert, I would say, as you know as well, is talent. You know, we've got incredible colleges and universities. We're keeping more of that talent here. We need to keep more of it because to fuel the jobs and the demand that's going to be out there for jobs for these companies in the years ahead, we got to keep more people here and attract people to the state of Indiana.
0: You mentioned talent and the entrepreneurial spirit and the innovation uh, you just recently had on your podcast, uh, someone who I consider a terrific friend and, and probably the most talented leader of his generation, because he's a few years younger than me. I don't know, 10 or 12. I'm not sure. Ryan Vaughn. Hmm. We need more Ryan Vaughn's, and we need more Angela Smith-Jones, and the list goes on and on. And then with regard to innovation, and I should say full disclosure, I was they have been my client from time to time. Talk about what Dan Elsner has done at Marion. <laughs> oh, amazing,
1: <laughs> to put it mildly. And, and you talk about innovation and education uh, I, you know, you got, you looked that up in the dictionary, you got Dan's picture there. Um, education, you know, is one of those, uh, areas that, uh, you don't necessarily associate with innovation and things being done differently and in new ways, but you just look at what has happened at Marion university, formerly Marion college. So that's mm-hmm. one of the many changes Dan made there to make it uh, Marion university, but, uh, you know, creating, um, the uh, the school of medicine chiropractic uh, medicine or osteo I'm sorry osteopathic medicine mm-hmm. uh, another entire a medical school establishing football you talk about talent and talk about the need to get students and a, a diverse group of students into the university people said what are you creating a football program for for crying out loud getting more on campus housing all the things they did there—it's—it's it's like uh, an innovation in a minute. So he has without question, transformed uh, Marion University. But I think his his innovation now, what they're doing with St. Joseph's uh, College, which of course went out of business in Rensselaer, but doing some statewide things there. His innovation, I think, is rubbing off to to other schools, large and small, to do things out of the box, you know, outside of the box, if you will. And I think that's a good thing. And again, from a talent pipeline perspective, can't remember what the numbers are, but there's like 90 percent, whatever the the number is, the number of graduates from Marion University who stay in central Indiana or stay in Indiana. When you look at teachers, you look at healthcare professionals and those industries need more, more talent, more people. Uh, Marion is, is a pipeline. Uh, to uh, to uh, to fill those those needs. So Dan, again, you talk about innovators in education. Mitch Daniels has certainly become that uh, as he's gone to Purdue, but Dan Elsner has has just done and continues to do an amazing job at Marion.
0: Well, I know uh, President Elsner and President Sue Elsperman for Ivy Tech were just on your Inside Indiana Business show about a month ago talking about their new education alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk to business owners, or people who are decision makers at the highest level, how much do they emphasize the general education climate in Indiana, while also giving credit where credit is due with regard to the education reform, quality education environment in Indiana, in Indianapolis? How important is that?
1: Well, they talk about a lot. It's very important, uh, obviously. And you mentioned Sue Elsperman at Ivy Tech. I think that's a great example. Um, you know, the word alignment is used a lot of aligning the needs of business with um, the curriculum and the the education that students are receiving in uh, in colleges and universities. Uh, I think if you talk to folks in business, if if you talk to folks in academia, I think who are being honest, I think they they'd say, those two things have been out of whack for a long time and uh, there, there's not been enough focus on really educating students to the um, to the demands or to what, what the, uh, the open jobs are in a sta- in a 21st century economy, mm-hmm. technical education, uh, what used to be called vocational education, if you will, the things that Ivy tech is doing, if you think about the educational pipeline and um, former CEO of Salesforce, Marketing Cloud, uh, who was here for a number of years, he and he's been all over the country, lived out in Silicon Valley for a while. And he, he would openly say there is no better uh, pipeline for talent than in Indiana, bar none. He said, hands down, if you look at the state universities and the elite universities in that list, you look at the private universities and the elite universities in that list, it's unbelievable you know what 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 kind of uh, academic firepower there is here so the challenge is is to is to connect uh, the universities with the needs of business i think you're seeing a lot of examples around the state of indiana uh, of that happening and i think there's there's getting more you know four-year traditional colleges universities very important obviously their their importance continues to be uh, uh, you know a, a front burner thing but then you look at The technical education and, you know, the types of jobs, you look at what Ivy Tech is doing, where kids can come out of high school with a uh, with uh, an associate's degree, you know, they're they're leaving high school Mm -hmm. with a college associate's degree, and they can go right into the work, the workplace, the workforce and get these stackable degrees to begin their career. So in terms of not leaving high school with no job opportunities, they're not going to go, perhaps they're not cut out, they're not made to uh, and don't have interest in going to a traditional four-year college. They can come out with skills that can get them a good-paying job with benefits and launch them on a career. There's a lot of that going on as well. So I think the education piece, and Teresa Lovers at the Commission for Higher Education and, and her team and others, I know are so engaged and involved in this and it gets back to the, the talent equation. So they're on a quest now. And I always, sometimes I, I forget, I think it's uh, the goal is to have two thirds of the state of Indiana, two thirds um, of the population uh, uh, with an education beyond high school. That includes either a four-year degree, associate's degree, or a, or a you know legitimate credential. And we're not there yet. But the goal is to get there. And again, it's about filling that talent pipeline and growing the economy. And I think the other thing I'd throw out on that, Robert, is, you know, Indianapolis, central Indiana has has largely done done pretty well, sometimes better than others, but done, done pretty well. It's got a lot, lot going on. The challenge I think, is for the rest of Indiana. You see places like Fort Wayne with their downtown development and some of the investment you're seeing there, Evansville, the, the IU Med Center downtown at in uh, in Evansville and some other places, but rural Indiana, and you know, gets into internet connectivity and all kinds of things. But I I have a concern about uh, the economy in the rest of Indiana outside of Central Indiana, and that that coming together where we're seeing more jobs and investment and that kind of thing.
0: It's a little more than twenty years ago that you started your business um, in. I think it's fair to say the flagship aspect of your business is the show inside Indiana business. Uh, You've been grateful and had me on a few times and, and have accepted my pitches for my clients to come on there. Uh, How did you manage? And I'm going to say this and I believe it. And it's a compliment to you and your staff, whether that's Tara or Mm -hmm. TWD or everybody there. Who's uh, Andrea, who's worked there, Tracy, uh, you've always had such a terrific uh, group of people, Joe. Um, how have you managed to create this destination media centerpiece? Because that's what it is.
1: Well, and you 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 mentioned the most important piece of the equation, and that's that's talent and the people who who, who have worked who do work uh, for me are talented people committed to their to our mission and what we're doing. So that would be uh, certainly number one. But I, I look back on it and I I think about it. Um, you know, because I was at channel six, I enjoyed what I was doing. Um, but I really felt as though I didn't want to wake up, you know, fast forward 20 years from that time and wake up and decide I didn't want to be a reporter or, or got fired or whatever the case might be and not have any options. And I, I really began thinking, what, what do I want to do? And, um, trying to think, okay, what do I know? And I know media and, uh, a bit about business and I got a lot of the stories I did at channel six were economic development and whether it's circle center mall and development communities were doing I got around the state. So that's how it came up. And I, and I looked at what was happening in media, especially when it comes to local content, business news, you could see nationally, you could get a business news, a hundred different places on cable, uh, you know, all kinds of places you could get national business news, but where do you go to get local content? And, and certainly newspapers were, you know, beginning to not really cover it, uh, you know, that much. TV has never really done a great job of covering local business uh, news. So that's how I came up with the idea for the, the 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 show. And I really felt as though if we could get it on the air, it could work. And fortunately it did. And then, you know, connected with Scott Jones, uh, I, I actually, I went to pitch him on a technology sponsorship on the show. Mm. He thought the idea, uh, he thought the show was great. He said, but can you do create something bigger, you know, really create it on a statewide basis. And so that's really two years after we launched in 98. So two thousands when we formed the company with the whole idea was to, we expanded the show. People thought I was absolutely crazy from 30 minutes to an hour. And, Created a statewide entity, so we we would cover news not just here in Indy, but Fort Wayne and mm. um, you know uh, South Bend, what, whatever the case might be, and then really leverage technology. We talked about technology earlier, and and the platform, and getting content to people when they want it, where they want it, how they want it. So that's uh, ultimately not only a website, but uh, e newsletters. I mean, at that time in 2000, people were still faxing things, <laughs> and um, but we still so we got into the, into that game on radio, which we still have today. And that's really not only from a content distribution standpoint, but from a branding standpoint. And to get that inside Indiana business name in front of people, that's how it really kind of kind of took off. And again, been very fortunate to have just tremendous people uh, to work uh, for me. And to support what we do uh, along the way,
0: is it? Do you miss the? Do you miss the adrenaline of the breaking news? But it's more than compensated by the fact that you get to do these really terrific set piece interviews with with folks where you can have a nice, casual but informative conversation. Mm -hmm. Is there a balance there? Yeah, yeah, there is.
1: And, And I will say this: I mean that breaking news fix if you will we get a little bit of that when it's uh uh y- you know we 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 get um you know Toyota's big announcement 600 million or uh uh nearly a billion dollar investment these big economic development projects that we get the scoop on and we're kind of mm-hmm. kind of you know can break that news that that kind of solves that a, a little bit but but more broadly yeah it it gives us the opportunity and as i've always said you know i said you know, in terms of our content, we're not in business to be cheerleaders for the business community, but at the same time, we do want Indiana business to be successful. And so the stories we do, you know, we're going to do the stories on the, the layoffs and the, the, the plant closings and the, the challenges in education and, and, and those, those types of things. But we're going to do most of the stories, many of the stories we do. Uh, are about what people are doing in Indiana and and innovation and entrepreneurship. If I get one comment most consistently, and it's the one I appreciate uh, among the most, that is, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was happening in Indiana. And there's a lot of that all over the state uh, as you look at what entrepreneurs are doing and innovators and small business owners. So that's that's really, and I think that's that's part of what has has led to our success as well because the local the local stations don't have the time for it, don't have the interest in doing it. so we're able to do that, and uh, I think there's a there's an appetite for it.
0: You're listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast. We're talking with Native Hoosier, entrepreneur, and journalist, Gary Dick. Let's talk just for a few minutes about your podcast. It's called Business and Beyond. The lineup of guests is terrific, to say the least. Uh, I look at some of them and go, "Okay, they've been on mine, too. Or like, damn, how did he get them?" (laughs) What made you start the podcast? I know it's I mean, I hate to say it's the trendy type thing, but they are they are becoming enormously popular. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about why you decided to go down that route and how much fun you're having, because if you listen to the podcast, you're having fun. Yeah. And
1: it's great uh great question. And you know, you you were f- fully aware of this and you jumped on the, the podcast bandwagon before I did. And I I just, you know, uh I'm really late to the game. I, I I think it's a uh it's it's a it's a popular uh vehicle to get content to people. Uh and I, you know, frankly, and I guess I was asleep, but I, I just didn't realize how popular, you know, we started a podcast where we take our one hour TV show. And we condense it into basically thirty minutes, and you know, have people who download that and listen to that. We get feedback that uh, yeah, on the way to work or working out on the treadmill, whatever the case might be, I listen to the show on a podcast. But I, I really, truly didn't know the the real impact and 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 where this podcasting thing was going. So that's really what prompted it. I said we need to you know we need to be a part of that, and um, and so the idea of business and beyond. As it suggests, it's business people, but people of all walks of life, and it's about their path to you know where they're going, where they how they've gotten to where they they are, where they grew up, those types of things. So it's business, entertainment, sports, whatever the case might be. We try to make it uh, a conversation that is uh, again with people that folks may be aware of, maybe they won't. Uh, aren't aware of. I know we just uh, did one that'll be out, I think maybe next week uh, with uh, Bob Roski, who's a, a NCAA official. He's Indianapolis guy grew up here. A really interesting story. But if you look, uh, if you're a basketball fan and you see the guy, you'd know who he is because he, he does three to four games a week, big 10 ACC, big East. He's one of the most visible NCAA officials out there has done two final fours, the last two final fours. So again, he's a good example. it's kind of a sports guy, but um, you know a life story we like to like to get into so it's been fun. I enjoy our interviews on t v but this, as you know, Robert, gives you an extended platform to just have a conversation and that's that's been fun. Have you learned
0: anything new like you've been in the city for decades and have interviewed either through inside Indiana business or at Channel Six? Uh, hundreds maybe probably at this point thousands of people Mm -hmm. for sure so you have a very rich uh, knowledge of the city and and its people and its leaders and it's and it's fun kind of trivia for lack of a better term is there anything that sticks out through your podcast or interview you're like you know you mentioned something about the audience going I didn't know that yeah when has Gary Dick said I didn't know well it's interesting uh, because I know a lot of the you know, kind
1: of history, at least for the last, you know, 40 years plus or so. But it's some of the kind of the backstories that I find really interesting. Scott Dorsey, for example, that I mentioned earlier, and he's just one good example. You know, he talked about when they went to close on the exact target, the Salesforce acquisition, two and a half billion dollars, uh, big deal. And he, he tells the story about taking two pictures when they were ready to sign and close the deal. One picture was of him uh, smiling and happy and excited and, you know, gung-ho, this is a great day. The other picture was him looking really terrified, scared, frightened, not knowing. And at the time they said, you know what? We're going to take these two pictures. We're going to see which one turns out to be (laughs) what this deal uh, ultimately is. Obviously the uh the good picture is the one that prevailed. But the stories like that, kind of the backstories that that uh individuals have, their 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 times of of doubt, maybe, uh as they uh pursued their, their business ideas or, or things they were doing in their lifetimes, those are the things that that I, you know, you don't know until you really sit down and talk to someone. And those those are the things I really appreciate.
0: We have reached the point in the Leaders and Legends podcast where we ask the same five questions of all our guests. Gary Dick, are you ready? Ready to go. What was your first job? Uh, post, uh, after college or first job period? First job period. You can leave out cutting grass or delivering newspapers. but Yeah, I what? would tell you the first
1: real job because I de-tasseled corn. I bailed hay. Uh, uh, cut weeds in, in bean fields. I did the farm stuff. But I pressed records at CBS, the CBS Records factory in Terre Haute, Indiana, midnight to eight shift for two summers. And uh, it was interesting. It was the largest, I believe, the largest yeah. record pressing operation in the world it was in Terre Haute, Indiana, CBS Records. And uh, got a, had a summer job there, two summers in a row, made great money, but it was a it was a grind. Did a lot of Peter Frampton uh, Frampton albums. Uh, so, yeah, that was me. Frampton comes alive. Exactly. I that could have been the
0: name I, of I, your podcast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Gary comes alive. I, I, I like that. Maybe I, I would do another one. Yeah.
0: I think my uh, wages are still being garnished for all the uh, CD memberships back in the 80s. For Columbia House. Columbia yeah. House. <laughs> Question number two. What was your first concert? Uh, first concert, Kiss,
1: Holman Center, Terre Haute.
0: I Gary, Dick. They, Gary Dick, member of the Kiss Army. No,
1: I, I was not, but I think the Kiss Army
0: uh, was founded in Terre
1: Haute, if I'm not mistaken.
0: <laughs> <Tribute>. number, <laughs> number three, if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you choose?
1: Oh, boy. Oh, man. Uh Oh man, you know what? And I'll, I'll tell you, this, this probably says a lot about me, but I, I don't have time to read that many books anymore, but, um, you know, I, I would say, uh, oh gosh. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to when I was a young, really young. And, uh, I just remember this book, um, Gail Sayers, I am third, um, it was about his relationship with Brian Piccolo and that whole thing. This this goes back into the 60s. But uh, it was a book about a, a, a young guy's path to success, empathy, and caring for other people and that kind of thing. So I'll, I'll throw that one out there.
0: Gary's referencing Gary Piccolo, or excuse me, Brian, Brian Piccolo, Brian, yeah. Brian Piccolo yeah. who... Uh, was from Wake Forest and mm-hmm. roomed with Gale Sayers for the Chicago Bears. And he died at the age of like 23, 24, something cancer, like that. And created, and, and it was memorialized in the film Brian's Song, which is still, still used to induce crying. <laughs>
1: yeah, in, exactly. In men
0: in yeah. sociology and psychology classes to this no, day. No still. question.
1: And, and, you know, back then, and certainly when they were in training camp, at that time they the bears trained at Saint Joseph's College in mm-hmm. Rensselaer.
0: Question number 4, if you could witness any event in history, be there as it happens, which event would you choose? Hmm.
1: Wow. Uh, well, these are these are these are tough ones. Um, any event in history um well, I've I've done um gosh. Any event in history. Boy, I'm not prepared for that one. I uh I you know, I'm fascinated by World War II. I I wouldn't you know, wouldn't have want to to have witnessed you know D-Day, but it just fascinates me in terms of events in history and what, you know, what took place then. We've been able to go over, been in Normandy, and and seen some things over there. But um, you know, if, if it's uh, if I, I switch it to my my fallback on on um, on sports, I've been to the Masters, so I've I've seen that. So that's um, off my bucket list. I tell you, what's on my bucket list is the Army Navy game uh, is what I want to I want to witness.
0: Go Army. <laughs> That's right. That's right. (laughs) Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, two hours off the record, whom would you choose?
1: Hmm. Oh, another good one. Uh, Just one person. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, You know, I would, um, a guy who has had certainly uh, an interesting life, um, well, I'm, I'm going to do a do a a local and a national, but uh, George W. Bush. Um, I, I just think his, his, his um, perspective on a number of things and what he has been through in his life, um, politics, personally, all those types of things. I think George W. Bush uh, would be a, a really interesting uh, dinner conversation. And then I'll say, look, if I had a local person and I'll go back, even though I've talked to him many times and know a lot uh, about him is is Jim Morris, because I think the stories and the, the, the things that he has done in his life, I'd love to know more, uh, about that, uh, about those things.
0: You have been listening to leaders and legends, a podcast presented by veteran strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest has been entrepreneur, journalist, and proud Hoosier, Gary Dick. Gary, thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed it.
1: Hey, I really enjoyed it, uh, Robert, very much, and I look forward to seeing you you around town. Now that uh, all these restrictions are are maybe off, hope to see
0: you in person very soon. Thank you, sir, very much. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at VeteranStrategies.com